You're listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. You can find out more about this and other network shows, as well as Small Town Monsters films, books, our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, and much more at smalltownmonsters.com. And we are live. Welcome, everyone, to the very first Mysteries and Monsters live after show. My name is Aaron Deese, and I am your host. You might recognize me from the introduction to this show that I just gave. I'm also the author of The Texas Dogman Triangle, and I appear in the film The Dogman Triangle, Werewolves in the Lone Star State, which was edited by tonight's guest. We have a super exciting discussion that I really can't wait to get into, but there is a lot, and I'm a lot of really cool stuff happening in the small town monsters universe right now, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. On the Trail of Bigfoot, Land of the Missing, pre-orders are now live. You can head over to shop.smalltownmonsters.com to get in on that. And if you haven't seen this film yet, you're, you're going to want to check it out. It's pretty great. It's really, really cool. That is not the only thing available over at shop.smalltownmonsters.com. We also have the official, official Mysteries and Monsters t-shirt, which is finally available. And if you're anything like me and you think the logo for Mysteries and Monsters is one of the best things ever, you're going to want to get over there and get your order in. I did. I did that. So you could do it too. That'd be cool. In addition to that, and I like the excitement builds with every new thing that pops up here. I'm so stoked about it. If you are anywhere in the vicinity of Hico, West Virginia, this next Saturday, August the 19th, you don't want to miss Cryptid Bash 3, which is being put on by our good friends, the Moth Boys podcast. Small Town Monsters sadly will not be in attendance, but we are a sponsor, and we really, really hope you guys head over there and check this out. It's a free event, and it's being held at the Free Folk Brew House and Tasting Room. Again, that's in Hico, West Virginia. And a big hello, a big thank you to everyone who's here. I see a bunch of cool folks hanging out in the audience. If you guys have any questions tonight, please go ahead and throw them into the chat. We'll do our absolute best to get to everybody because um, we want to hear from you. We want your questions answered. All that stuff's very important. Let's see what else is going on here. There's so much, you guys. Uh, oh, the next Small Town Monsters Kickstarter launches on February 1st of next year. You really don't want to miss out on this. You'll get advanced copies of the movies. You'll get access to them way before everybody else. You get your name in the credits, which I think is pretty neat. And you get a bunch of other cool rewards like this T-shirt, which was a part of the last Kickstarter campaign, art by Jonathan Dodd. So definitely tune into that live stream on February the 1st. Be sure to sign up for the Kickstarter if you can. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be really, really cool. And let's see. We've talked a little bit about events. And the big event, the big event, Monster Fest 2 is coming next year to downtown Canton, Ohio. That will be held on the 29th of June. If you head over to stmmonsterfest.com, you can check out all the details. And we already have a ton of incredible guests that have already been announced. People like Ken Gerhard, Forrest and Scott from Astonishing Legends, Dr. Sheena Steinglass, Jim Harold, Ryan Sprague, Paul Bartholomew, Mike Ann, Shannon LeGrow, Wild and Weird West Virginia, Ron Lanham and Joe Perdue, Lyle Blackburn, researcher Amy Bue, the Cryptid Campfire podcast, one of the hosts of which is joining us tonight, not to spoil anything for you, as well as our good buddy Jeremiah Byron of the Bigfoot Society and the Small Town Monsters crew, including yours truly. So you don't want to miss Monster Fest. I know I keep saying you don't want to miss in regards to a lot of these things, but you don't. You just don't. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's discussion. Joining me is uh, my good buddy, writer, director, podcaster, producer, cool guy that wears a cool hat, Mr. Eli Watson. And we're just going to bring him up. What's up, buddy? Well, hello there. How are you doing, man? It's so good to see you. I'm good, man. It's good to be here. It's good good to see you. Yeah, always. Always. So we're talking about episode seven of Mysteries and Monsters tonight, uh, Bigfoot on the Border. And I have a bunch of cool questions, what I think are cool questions, that I'm excited to ask you. I'm sure the audience has a few as well. Um, but before we get into that, mm. Just in case someone hasn't had a chance to check out Mysteries and Monsters yet, because Small Town Monsters has a vast body of work. There is new and exciting stuff all the time. So if someone hasn't quite made it over to Mysteries and Monsters yet, what are they missing out on? 
Sure. Uh, Mysteries and Monsters is a series that uh, follows me around. And what I try to capture, what I try to tell people is that a, a really exciting aspect about all of cryptozoology, paranormal, and UFO stuff, to me, is researching it and discovering it. And so what I wanted to do with Mysteries and Monsters is transfer that feeling of excitement that I had uh, learning about all this stuff. And and hopefully, so it, so it feels like you're learning this stuff along with me, that we're on this journey together. And that's what I hope to convey in Mysteries and Monsters. Awesome. Awesome. And I love the aesthetic. This might just be me commenting and not a question, but I love the aesthetic of this show because it's so retro and it's so <laughs> fun. Like it's, it's just fun to watch. And I think when we're in a world that is full of documentaries, there are documentaries everywhere, you know, having that quality is really important. So that's one thing I love about it. Nobody asked me, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, uh, actually I, I want to say a little bit on that is thank you for that also. But, uh, that was something very, very intentional. I wanted it to feel that way. And I know we get comments in about, oh, that's that's just a dude in a Bigfoot suit. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're recreations, but they're hokey recreations, you know? Like, sure. even the UFO episodes, I have models, and they're just very clearly hanging off a wire, you know? And it's like, I wanted that look to it. I didn't want to go with the slick CGI for this whole series. I want them to be these cheesy recreations that you would see in In Search Of or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it works so well. Like, I, I don't want to spoil too much. If you haven't seen episode seven of Mysteries and Monsters yet, there will be spoilers tonight. That's just the way it is. <laughs> but I, I don't want to spoil too much, though. But those those scenes in this episode I, I loved them. I loved them. There are a couple points where I actually went back and I was like, I got to watch this again. This is super <laughs> cool. <laughs> so if, if you have not met Mr. Watson before, uh, Eli has been a part of the small town monsters team for a long time. He's been involved in a whole lot of projects. Uh, I've been a fan of his work for quite some time now, but here's, we're actually going to do something kind of cool. We're going to throw a trivia question out there for you guys, and we're going to see who can suss it out. Um, and that question is, what was the first STM project that Eli worked on? You've got some time to figure it out. We'll, we'll reveal the answer at the end of the show if nobody else gets it in the meantime. But uh, what was the first STM project that Eli worked on? The answer might surprise you. It surprised me. I <laughs> did it. <laughs> no, I just didn't know before I asked you. <laughs> so... Episode seven of Mysteries and Monsters, Bigfoot on the Border, we're talking about Sasquatch activity in Southern California, getting mm -hmm. close to where the U.S. borders with Mexico. What about this area made it a focus of study for you or what pushed you into doing, you know, a, a two hour documentary on this? This is a full length documentary. I think that's professional <laughs> as well. But, you know, what about this hooked you that you were like, yeah, I got to I got to dig into this. Um. Well, part of it was the uh, Seth told me to focus on stuff that was local to me. So, <laughs> you know, and he said, can you do Bigfoot near you? And I was like, Bigfoot in Southern California. Okay, here we go. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that, I mean, like I say, this is the third uh, Bigfoot in Southern California episode I've done. And so that's at least... <laughs> Oh, that's almost four hours worth of me talking about Bigfoot in Southern California. Southern California is not where you would think to find Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not where most of the reports come from. Uh, but specifically for this episode, I wanted to focus on the Bigfoot encounters that happened closest to me. Because what you'll find is in a lot of Southern California, what makes the most sense is Bigfoot encounters happening in the mountains. And these are like the mountains behind Los Angeles and stuff. That's two, two hours away, three hours away. And I was like, well, I don't want to go that far for this episode. I want to drive like an hour max. And that's exactly what I did. And there are quite a number of reports from around me. And mm -hmm. what blew my mind, and you can see it in the episode, I included my own reaction was like driving around to some of these places. I was like, 
there's like a whole forest right here, like an hour away from where I live. And it's not even in the mountains and it blew my mind. And then you drive half an hour down the hill and you're in a complete desert. And it's blows my mind how varied the uh, landscape is here in Southern California. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's possible that Sasquatch like creatures could exist here. Mm -hmm. That's cool that you mentioned that, you know, this was something you focused on in part because it's close to you because you actually have a personal connection to some of these sightings, which I thought was really cool, you know, having to do with the Air Force Base. Again, I mm. won't spoil too, too much. But as as an Air Force kid, I thought that was cool. <laughs> Again, not a question. Just a, just I have to correct you. It wasn't an Air Force Base. It's a Marine Corps Base. <laughs> a Marine Corps Base. Pardon me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have failed. The show is over. I really <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was really neat. I, I like the personal touches. I like that we're we're getting to know you while we're getting to know this phenomena. So well mm -hmm. done with that. Right. Um, well, also, may I add, I think what Pruitt adds at the very end is, uh, you know, we always think of Sasquatch existing in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. But if there is even like half of these reports are true from here in Southern California, that means there's a lot left to learn because this mm -hmm. is atypical behavior whether they live down here or whether they just come down here and visit and then leave you know that's there's a lot left to learn about these creatures i think and i think that was a really good point yeah i agree i agree and you like matt pruitt was an awesome awesome interviewee for this project you had you had a ton of really knowledgeable <laughs> reputable people in this film you know how how difficult is it to get this many people involved in one project? Because I've been scheduling interviews and, and recording conversations with people for a couple of years now. And if I can find an hour with one person, that's that's a great accomplishment. You got everybody in this one. So, <laughs> how stressful uh, is that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of moving pieces all at once because most of the time when I get an interview with someone, I know I only have that one interview with them. Mm -hmm. So like this cliff interview that shows up in this documentary has shown up in like five of my episodes so far. And it's, it's all different pieces from the same interview. Oh, I have one cool. hour with cliff and I, part of it is knowing like, eventually I'm going to get to this topic. Eventually mm -hmm. I'm going to discuss this thing and I'm going to want to use cliff for that documentary. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like I did the same with moneymaker, um, where there's a BFR researcher named Kevin Withers. Well, I guess he's focused on Southern California. So that's where most of his interview is going to be used. But like Matt Pruitt was a crazy last minute edition where I interviewed him in Tennessee at a Bigfoot conference, specifically about the final case that's in, in this documentary. Wow. And that was based off a conversation we had at CryptidCon where he was like, oh, you should we were talking about my series before it had launched and he was like, Oh, you should look into the Zubies case. And mm -hmm. he told me everything to basically jump off and start looking into it. And I was like, I need to get Pruitt in this because no one else knew all the details like he did. So, and he knew so many little details and very specific things that like, you can tell he spent a long time on this case doing this research. And I thought you did a really effective job of bringing that information forward. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was a great interview. I, I, I was sitting there watching the episode and I'm like, Oh, it's Matt Moneymaker. That's cool. And, oh, Hey, it's Daniel Perez. That's pretty neat. Oh, yeah, Brockman is here now. Like what is the, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people. It's so, like the Knights of the round table all showing but, up or something. <laughs> I, I, that's also another thing I'm really proud of with this series is that there, there's just so many researchers that just pop up. You never know when they're going to pop up in my show. And it's, that's something I really, really like. So I hope I can be able to replicate that as the series continues. I'm only seven <laughs> episodes in. I hope by episode 14, I'm, that's still happening. So Yeah. <laughs> I see it happening. Based on your previous body of work, I see it. I think you got it. <laughs> Just saying. Um, I'd like to talk about evidence and encounters and stuff like that. So mm. we're Definitely, we definitely need to dig into that. I'm going to check out the chat here. And oh, oh, we've got a, an answer to our trivia question already. 
Mm-hmm. Let's see. Our good buddy Scott was Eli's first project on the trail of Bigfoot discovery. Yes, technically. Wow. <laughs> that only took 15 minutes. <laughs> Not even 15 yeah. minutes. Congratulations, I, Scott. Well, I should also say the full answer is it was actually beyond the trail, but it was beyond the trail that coincided with on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery. So, okay. It was okay. a dual production, but I would say that's correct. It's kind of a trick question because when we talked about this, you explained yeah. it to me and I was like, okay, so there's a couple answers. Congratulations, Scott. Always good to see you, my friend. Cool guy. Cool guy, Scott. Uh, yeah, so let's get into evidence. Let's get into evidence here because there's some really interesting and compelling evidence that's presented in this documentary. Um, the one thing I noticed that really seemed to be recurring is that the footprints that are showing up in these cases seem to have four toes when casts mm-hmm. are made or pictures have been taken. Uh, it seems like they have four toes. And I think a lot of us, when we think about Sasquatch prints, what comes to mind is five toes, something more traditionally primate, if you like. Is this a phenomena that seems to be specific to this area? Or have you encountered this in other places you've been on the ground doing research? I, I know that four-toed tracks have been found in other places. I don't know where, but I've heard that. And as mm-hmm. well as like three-toed tracks. So I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of that, but yeah, that is something that surprised me was that there was four-toed tracks here in Southern California. And uh, why that is, I have no idea because my initial uh, reaction to hearing four-toed tracks is like, oh, maybe one of the toes didn't register. But as you said, this is dealing with multiple different reports of tracks being found where there's only four toes Mm -hmm. and in different locations throughout Southern California. So I don't, uh, yeah, like Mike Casey is saying it's, it it could be easy to lose a toe. That's true, but I don't know if that's exactly the case of what's going on. I, and disclaimer, the images you see in the documentary of the four toed tracks are not real. Those are fake. So, Mm -hmm. I don't have actual photographs of the four toed tracks. Okay. So it would be interesting to look and see maybe it is a missing toe, or maybe it is a non registered toad, or maybe there's something going on with the foot morphology that leads it to only have four toes. I don't know. Hmm. So there's there's a few options here. This could be a deformity, it could be just how the footprints are showing up, it could be a subspecies of Sasquatch. There's there's options. There is options, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a comment from TS, uh, the skunk ape in Florida, sometimes show four toes. That's interesting. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. That's my home state. I feel like I should have known that. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I, yeah. Yeah. I would say born and raised. So yeah, I guess spent more time in Texas though. Hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> comment from our buddy jeremiah at bigfoot society let's rock and roll let's definitely do that let's that's, do it that's the agenda for the evening and we also want to welcome christina benoit benoit i apologize if i messed up your last name uh for joining the stm squad which if you're a squad member i i neglected to mention this earlier you had access to mysteries and monsters episode seven several days ago so mm. i saying world premiere was today but early in 4k no ads sign up for the squad that's 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 my advice and then we have another great comment from poncho zork zorch uh, i thought the cheap costumes were awesome so that's good yeah you it's nice to hear that it is nice to hear that because you only ever see the negative comments on the videos and it's like i, I don't know if i'm failing in life here by running around in a hundred dollar costume uh, by the way the most i have never been caught in public wearing that costume and the one time i have was during the making of this episode where (laughs) specifically it's the one where a sasquatch is seen taking a dump in the middle of the road (laughs) and so i'm sitting there in the middle of the road squatted down in my bigfoot costume like i'm gonna take a crap and 
here comes some people and their dogs and I have to explain what I'm doing. <laughs> hey, everything is fine. <laughs> do you carry this? This is just an off the cuff question. Do you carry business cards with you in case you're working on a project and somebody's like, what the heck is going on here? I don't. I really should, though. I've been thinking about getting business cards made. I'm going to write that down, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I find that when you have a small piece of uh, cardboard with your name on it, people are less likely to call the police. That's just something I've noticed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a big welcome to Yeti Killer Media for joining the STM squad. You will not regret it, my friend. Welcome. Thank you so much. And a big thank you to all of our squad members, whether you're watching this live or watching it later. Uh, obviously, we appreciate everybody in the community, but a big thank you to our squad members. You guys make all this stuff possible. So let's see. We had a couple comments on the four toed tracks. American Therapy asks, perhaps it could be indicative of inbreeding. Possibly it could be. Some genetic flaws. Hmm. Could be, especially... Yeah, I don't know. It very well could be. I'm not sure why they would be inbreeding here in Southern California, especially back in the 1970s when there was a lot more space in Southern California. Hmm. Hmm. I don't see a reason. There wouldn't be. They're confined to this area. Um, but it, it very well could be. Okay. That's a great question. Yeah. Great question. And it's one of those things that we just don't know enough about the biology of these animals. You know, exact question, though. So important. And our buddy Jordan Heath of Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. Could the four toed tracks be a result of soil content? Maybe that fifth toe just isn't making it into the imprint. Yeah, it's possible. The The substrate here in Southern California, all across uh, the state is just kind of tough. And it's unless you're standing on a creek bed, like most of the time, footprints aren't even going to show up. Mm. So. It's mm -hmm. just, there's so little rainfall. And I guess that would have been different back then even too, because Southern California by historical record used to be a much wetter, marshier place. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it was swampy, but it was, it was marshy. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It very well could be the, the soil. Yeah. And we see, this is just a side comment, but we see something similar in Texas, which is where I do most of my research that, you know, the ground is so hard packed and so dry, it's, it's difficult for anything to leave a print. So really good question. Really good question. Uh, speaking of evidence, we've talked a little bit about tracks. We've talked a little bit about footprints. There is a moment in the film that is for me, one of the most compelling moments. And that's where you're, you're visiting a sighting location with a witness and there is a barbed wire chain link fence meant to keep people out of a given wild area. And there's a steel bar that runs across the top of that fence as an additional piece of reinforcement or something, I guess. And that bar is bent downward. So something very, very heavy was at one time on top of that bar. Um, you know, not being an expert in metals and knowing how much weight or tensile strength is required to bend something like that. I'm curious, you know, in the time since you filmed that segment, have you had time to reflect on that? Have you had time to think about the implications? Because I kind of got chills. I was like, well, it don't matter what I thought, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's 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 pretty wild. Um, I wish I would have taken the time to explain that more. I mean, but already the documentary is an hour and a half. So it's like, <laughs> you know, how how much longer does it need to be? But yeah, got to fit everything in. Yeah. Uh, I think the steel bar being bent, like legitimately looks like something's pushed it down if it, as if it was climbing over the fence. And then not only that, the little triangular points have been pushed down. I don't know if I left that in the documentary as well, but, uh, the triangular points on the fence around that area had been pushed down almost if some, something has like stepped on it, mm. which I mean, I've, I've climbed, a fence before and never have I bent one of those triangular tips, you know, it's no. That is, so to me, what that indicates is repeated climbing over of the fence, whether that be a person or these Sasquatch like creatures, if that witness is indeed telling the truth. Mm -hmm. So I know people have commented that they didn't see the video. Uh, I didn't get permission to use that video that the witness filmed 
for the documentary, but I will probably be back at that man's property. And so there's a chance that video will come to light. So. You mentioned that in the documentary. Yeah. yeah. And I forgot to put this in my notes, but I, I'm very excited to see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. It's interesting. It's, it's, I don't think it's, it's not going to change anyone's mind if they don't believe in Bigfoot, but it's undeniable. Something's standing there. So yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what, that's what really struck me about that scene. I think is that you can look at a broken branch or a, a bent tree and there are reasonable scientific explanations for that having to do with wildlife, with weather and, and moisture in the air and stuff like that. It, it takes a certain amount of weight. It takes a certain amount of force to bend a steel bar at that angle. You know, you know it's, and I can't do it. I'm assuming you can't do it, even though you're a very strong man. Uh, so I, I think that's why that sticks out to me so much because that's undeniable. Something of immense weight moved over or was on top of this at one time. So yes. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, man. Fascinating. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, great question from Maynard W. I know you're concentrated on SoCal, but Arizona isn't that far. Any chance of making it over here? And I'm really enjoying the series. That's great. Well, thank you, Maynard. Uh, I would like to go to Arizona. Uh, the problem is Arizona is a good five hours away. Um, so it is close, but it, I mean, well, I should say Phoenix is about five hours away. And then Phoenix would be my base camp, really, because I have friends there that I can stay with and then move up and down the state or, or further east. And so it's just been a problem of logistics thus far, but Arizona is something I've thought about a lot. That is something that is on in the, in the books, in the works, I should say. Awesome. There's so much in Arizona. I won't take us down that rabbit hole, but that's good. To no, hear. There, there is a lot in Arizona, but there's a lot in SoCal. There's a lot right yeah. here at home. So yeah. <laughs> I think we all get so caught up in like, I need to travel to this place. I need to travel to this place. But like, there's so much in our own backyards. The world is such mm -hmm. a strange place. Love it. Love it. Love it. So here's a question. And I think this is incredibly important. Um, during the segment towards the end of the film, where we're talking about the Proctor Valley monster, which we've talked about mm. a little bit already, uh, a good old tiny monster hunting squad is assembled, mm. which seems to consist primarily of teenagers on motorcycles. <laughs> And in cars, wielding firearms. Um, yes. Which is much fun as that Mad Max post-apocalyptic image is. I do have to ask, if you're around in the 60s, 70s, are you joining that monster hunting squad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Count me in. Yeah. I figured. I'd be there, too. I, I kind of knew the answer to that one before I asked. I mean, dude, I mean, like, when else are you going to get the chance? That's an excuse to just yeah. go driving around with shooting guns <laughs> at night and it's happened so many times if you look at the history of cryptozoology like it's one of those things that just you know law enforcement had to get involved because armed men were roaming the woods at night that happens so <laughs> much so when you hit that segment in this episode i was like oh yeah monster squad monster squad <laughs> monster squad yeah <laughs> Uh, let's see. Going back to what we were talking about a little while ago regarding the weight and what could have bent that metal pipe, Henry E. White Jr., a moose could do it. 800 to 1,000 pounds. Very that good is, point. It's very good point, but we also do not have moose in Southern California, and I don't believe we've ever had moose in Southern California. That was so. my next question is, is that yeah. a possibility? Yeah. that's And that's a very valid point because you hear moose come up very often as you know a potential explanation for this cryptid or that cryptid because they are very large, very large animals, and they can yes. be very, very aggressive, but it's uh, too hot there is my understanding. So why we don't have them in yeah. Texas. Great point, Henry. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the only thing we have, the only type of undulate we have here in Southern California. Uh Oh, are you here? Yeah. Can you hear oh, me? Oh, Sorry. I got, you got frozen and oh, no. I was like, Oh no, my internet, but <laughs> uh, the only undulate, as far as I understand that we have here in Southern California are the mule deer. Uh, we used to have other sheep,
Oh, hey. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. All can right. Me? Yes, I can. All right. Can. This is this is this, is, this is live, folks. You're getting the 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 connection hiccups and everything on film. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm pretty sure we don't. Uh, the buckhorn sheep is what I'm looking for. The buckhorn sheep don't live here anymore. I'm pretty hmm. sure we've killed them all. Okay. Gotta love it. As, as, as well as the grizzly bears. We used to have lots of grizzly bears. Killed them. That was another question I had that I forgot to write down is what, what's the possibility of some of this being bear activity? So Okay, it no. could be black bear activity. I know they say, the officials say black bears don't exist that far south anymore, but mm -hmm. there's definitely sightings of black bear in San Diego County. So uh, possibly, obviously the witness... I don't think what he was describing would be a black bear. So, well, another thing kind of to that point is when you're talking about people that, you know, live on these vast pieces of property out in the countryside or the wilderness, they're, they're accustomed to the wildlife out there. They're familiar mm -hmm. with the wildlife. You know, they know what to do and what not to do. They know how to recognize known species. So when a person mm -hmm. like that, who lives in a very rural area says, Hey, this thing looked like a Sasquatch to me, that's very impactful. So mm, mm. just a little, just a little side comment there. Uh, Matt's tube of you. Thank you for supporting the channel. Every, it makes everything we do possible. Thank you so much. Love the Eminem content. Eli doing an amazing job. Really love the SoCal episodes too. Was just up at Herky Creek near Idlewild today. I don't know where that is. Where is that Eli? I, I know where it is. Uh, <laughs> Idlewild. Idlewild's a, a small town on top of a mountain called uh, Mount San Jacinto, which is mm. actually visible from my window here. Oh. And so I've thought about actually doing an episode around Idlewild, but because they actually have a Bigfoot-themed store up there. Mm. So they, they call it the Idle Beast Outpost, and it's just a used bookstore. But uh, there are like two reports from up there and nothing else. Uh, so I don't know if I could, it could show up in an episode, but it probably wouldn't be an entire episode focused on that. Hmm. Okay. So there, that is an area to look at then though, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for that, Matt. We're going to circle back to our question a second ago. We've established that you're, you're joining the monster hunter squad. Like you're in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm in there. I'm, I'm, I'll probably have two guns. Okay. So, one one for each hand, like Matrix One for style. each hand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And one to point at the cops if they try to stop me. So, <laughs> you know. Well, that, that, again, that makes me think of the Matrix. So the second part of that question, what are you wearing when you're on this squad? I'm wearing denim overalls with no shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cowboy boots. In a straw hat. So, well, here's another question, though. What about the poncho? <laughs> I've, never, <laughs> I've never tried a leather poncho. In fact, I've never tried a cotton or a leather poncho. The poncho I have is alpaca, I believe. So, oh, and that works know. well up to a point. There's okay. a point where it, it will keep you nice and warm, and then there's you go one degree below that and it's just like, okay, well now it's just cold. <laughs> <laughs> so jury's out, Mr. James Brost on a uh, weather cotton. Also, or shout, out, shout out to James. He's a, he's a good buddy. So well, he, he's got a follow-up question on the same line that I think is very important since we're talking about <laughs> fashion. <laughs> Will Eli get his own signature line of ponchos? I hope so. <laughs> I hope one day I do. I haven't busted out the poncho yet for this whole series. I need to. I notice it hasn't made an appearance yet. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't made an appearance in a while, but it will. Yeah. I'll change that. People are waiting. It's like, it's like, you know, Coke, classic Coke and new Coke or whatever they did with that a few, a few decades ago, <laughs> take it away and bring it yeah. back and increase this demand. Yeah. So the poncho will hopefully return soon, folks. You heard it here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've got a great question from patrick vaughn uh why not concentrate efforts in smaller wildlife areas that are easier to cover slash find where patterns impacting the landscape tracks etc that's a good question yeah uh 
I don't know how to answer that because the problem we have here in SoCal is like in the Pacific Northwest, you can find areas where there is a concentration of sightings. Here in Southern California, when I say we have a concentration of sightings, I'm talking about we're covering 20 square miles. We're covering 30 square miles, you know, and more. We're covering the Angeles National Forest, everyone. That's the concentration of sightings, you know. And it's so it's hard to really pinpoint certain areas. Uh, one thing I do plan on doing is focusing on certain creeks and creek beds uh, where there have been reports in the past. So... Lately, my show has been uh, more of an armchair research show, but I definitely want to get back out in the field. But due to my own time constraints and struggles with traveling and doing other productions, I've had to save it, kind of focus on the research. And you know what? And that, I think that's going to help in those future episodes where I've established the historical record. I've plotted everything out on the map. So then I can choose my locations more wisely. So I like that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I would also, and this is just me speculating, but smaller wildlife areas, even though they're, you know, undeveloped there, there is still a higher possibility for cross-contamination from humans or, mm. <clears throat> well, really just humans. There's no ore there. So that's one challenge I think we might run into in smaller areas, but that's my opinion. That's my opinion. That was a great question. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh poncho zorro has a tip for us army ponchos have liners and wet weather gear so you can layer them no oh, there we go there we go there we go i'm there just gonna go. have to get a different poncho for every episode now <laughs> that would be cool different colors every time every time different fit you know some of them have pockets some of them don't yeah, <laughs> <Could you> imagine. <laughs> Possibilities are endless. <laughs> uh, Outback Orchard asked, what could be the possible food sources in San Diego County? I think the uh, primary source would be mule deer. I think these things eat protein as a sense, uh, as a source of main diet. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. But the mule deer, definitely, they could eat those rabbits, squirrels if they really need it. Um, as far as other plant life, I mean, they could technically eat the sage. We have lots and lots of sagebrush out here. Hmm. So they could eat that. I don't know what kind of sustenance that would give them. Again, you know, every animal breaks down food differently. So it's like, I don't know how they would even process that. Hmm. But I know the mule deer live off of the sagebrush during the summer. So, uh... I, for me, the biggest question mark is water because we don't have water really year round unless it's in a lake and we don't have a whole lot of lakes. So like creeks, they dry up by this time of year in August. Like we have a, we had a bunch of rainfall earlier this year, but even at this point, we're still out of water. You know, mm -hmm. these drought like conditions are newer to california like i said back in 1970 southern california was not in a drought there was water year-round but now there isn't so i don't know what that is doing exactly to all the wildlife in the area and especially to the sasquatch so mm -hmm. and this is purely speculative on my part but are there are there caves or cavern systems underground in these areas that have come up in your research like is that something that could possibly be playing a role here there are rumors of sasquatch living in caves uh again on the la jolla native american reservation but apparently they don't let people in there so mm -hmm. i don't know of any other caves here in southern california but uh i actually i i haven't really heard of any caves like i've heard of like coastal caves that mm -hmm. are like formed by the water but I don't think a Sasquatch would live right there at the beach because there's only one way in and one way out, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. So you think sightings would probably be a lot more frequent if that were the case. Yeah. yeah. That also fruit, uh, especially lots of orchards in orange County, Los Angeles County here in San Diego County. There's lots and lots of, uh, It's like we might have another connection hiccup, folks. 
Sorry about that. We'll wait hey. for it. To, hey, are we? We're live again. Yeah, we're good. I'm back. Where did I cut <laughs> off? You're like Sasquatch fading in and out of the background. Okay. <laughs> this is all intentional. Yeah. Where did I get lost at? Or uh, where did you lose me at? We were talking was about I, the I'm talking about orchards. Orchards, yes. That? We're on the orchards. Okay, so yeah. got lots of orchards here in SoCal. And you hear reports, even in this episode, of of them stripping fruit trees of the fruit. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's another food source there. Henry E. White makes a good point. Are they dumpster diving also? That's a possibility. Probably. Or would you say that's a possibility? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. But I, I haven't heard any reports of that. So hmm. that's not to say they aren't doing that and being sneaky. Yeah. So, yeah. Any place you have human activity, humans generate waste and that inevitably. Yeah. Great point. Great point there. Um, let's see. Let's see. Oh, this is a great question. Matt's tube of you was wondering, Eli, if the old In Search Of show has been an influence. Also, how about an album? We know you have guitar skills, man. Ooh. Not good enough for an album yet. <laughs> but uh, maybe in the future. All right. Um, in Search Of was actually the main influence on this show. In Search Of and Monster Quest, I feel like, at the same time. But specifically, the intro of In Search Of is, in fact, I almost went more retro with the intro and, like, did the cheesy images that slide on, like just like In Search Of. But I was like, no, no, it needs to be updated. It needs to be a little more modern. But, sure. uh, yeah. You can and see then, that influence, though. Like, you know, I think a lot of us that watched that show and when, when we were younger, when that intro kicks in, we're like, yeah yes oh yes this is yes yeah i mean it you have sasquatch dogman paranormal ufos like yeah. yeah you know exactly what you're gonna get from this you know yeah you're like okay yep this is what i signed up for this is what i what i came for absolutely <laughs> yeah uh, jordan heath i have to assume it's common for bigfoot folks to be passionate about conservation in general is that the case for you eli actually yes more so in the past few years. Um, and I'm not exactly entirely sure why. Uh, I've talked to Henry Franzoni, actually, about this very same topic because he's quite the conservationist himself. And I was like, what, what is it about Bigfoot, Bigfooters that leads them to be conservationists? And it was his answer was that we see it. We see the effects that industrialization and pollution have on the environment more than a lot of other people because it doesn't matter how far out in the woods we get i still find trash out there you know mm -hmm. i still find garbage and you know you could be nine miles away from the nearest civil civilization you know three miles away from the nearest road you hiked out there and you're still going to find an empty coke bottle or something out there and you're like how you know and all of that stuff affects the environment in a in in a negative way you know uh and and i don't know because when you're out there bigfooting a, another big aspect of it is is enjoying the beauty of nature enjoying what that can offer for you because we lose a lot of i mean if you think about it humans have existed in that kind of primal environment for thousands and thousands of years and it is only in the past two centuries that we have really i would even argue in the past century with mm -hmm. the advent of electricity that we're losing that aspect of ourselves and it's having all sorts of negative effects on humans as a whole mm -hmm. and uh i think with bigfooters and campers going out there you you reconnect to some of your more human roots and you don't want to see that disappear and that leads you to be the only solution is to conserve nature to be a conservationist kind of becomes an inevitability i think for a lot of us like we yeah. see that and then we're like this we need to preserve this yeah yeah great yeah. question we have another good one from christina our new squad member welcome again christina 
I'm wondering if these creatures mainly eat plants, stripping the leaves like great apes do. The lack of seeing evidence of deer kills makes me think they're scavengers as well. I think there's, I think opportunistic eaters, I think is what you would describe that as. I absolutely I see that as possible. Mm -hmm. um, the problem, again, this gets into like, what do we actually know about these things? Because if they're living down here, I mean, trees aren't that common. <laughs> here in Southern California. So like what leaves are they stripping, you know? Uh, and then that makes you wonder too, because we have lots of not native species here in Southern California. We have lots of pepper trees that came from Peru. We have lots of eucalyptus trees, which obviously came from Australia. We have Russian tumbleweed out here. We have palm trees that are not native to California. A lot of people think they are, but they're not from here. Hmm. So it's, I mean, I'm hard pressed to even name like a native tree species to Southern California. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's why I, I tend to think deer, you know, I mm -hmm. think mule deer has got to be what they're eating, but I really yeah. don't know. And that's one of those things we hear conjecture about in other places where there's a lot of reported Sasquatch activity, um, including Texas, that, you know, deer may be providing a viable food source. So great question. Great question. I want to make sure that everyone knows where to find future episodes of Mysteries and Monsters. So where's the best place to do that, Mr. Watson? I guess that would be right here on the Small Town Monsters YouTube channel. You're right. <laughs> and a fun reminder, we mentioned this earlier, squad members get access to new episodes of Mysteries and Monsters, as well as a bunch of other great small town monster stuff up to five days in advance, ad free, 4K. No one told me to say that. I just think it's really important and I'm really excited about it. Uh, speaking of future episodes, I wanted to save this for towards the end here. We've got another great question from Scott. Since you've been given the guidance to stay local, can you tease some of the additional local phenomena you will be unpacking in future episodes? Hmm. More Sasquatch. More Sasquatch, for sure. Uh, there's definitely plenty of UFO content that will be coming out uh, in the not-too-distant future, as well as uh, the... Yeah, the UFO subject is highly interesting because you'll see what I'm doing in a few episodes. What I'm doing is I am, I started at the beginning and I'm branching out because it, the UFO topic branches out in a million different ways. And one of the ways is the more paranormal route. And so I will be talking about Aleister Crowley, um, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, Jack Parsons, uh, the UF, uh, not the UFO, just the occult scene in Los Angeles in the 1930s in the not too distant future here. Okay. Good teaser. So yeah. more California, more strange stuff, all the stuff that we, that we come for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Let's see. Oh, here's a good question. WD Glock and roll. This one just came in favorite Sasquatch movie. If you have one, Harry and the Hendersons. Heck yeah. <laughs> seminal classic seminal grew classic. up on that we're gonna take one final question here that kind of is in the vein of what we were saying earlier about conservation mm. and that is from mr jose alvarado hello would taking one down be the only way to prove their existence to people or is there another way thank you that's a good question i think yeah unfortunately yes i do um I'm not particularly particularly squeamish about that topic, though. Uh, the only way you're ever going to prove a Sasquatch's existence is just to have a body to cut it open, look inside of it like we've done with any other animal species, you know, uh, especially with something so elusive and so rare as a Sasquatch. You mm -hmm. know, if there was another way to do it, you know, if you could take the Jane Goodall approach and like hide out in the woods for months on end and get acquainted with a troop of chimpanzees like that, mm -hmm. if that was possible for Sasquatch, um, which I'm not saying that it's an impossible, 
possibility. It could be possible, but no one's spending that amount of time in the woods because mm-hmm. uh, it's highly, highly expensive. So I just, I, I feel like unless someone's willing to do that and take the risk of failing in that, then the only other way to prove it is by taking one down. An actual specimen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important question because that does come up a lot. So it's something I think we need to bear in mind. If we're talking about conservation and un- unclassified species, but also how do we prove this stuff? I don't know what yeah. the answer is, but I think it's an important topic. Yeah. 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 Eli, we're coming up on the hour and I am so grateful for all of your time. Any closing thoughts or teasers or uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? I just want to thank everyone for watching my show. Uh, it means a lot to me. I put a lot of effort into it and uh, I'm always very happy with how each episode comes out, which is a, a rare thing. But <laughs> uh, as an artist, you know, you're just like... Uh, I, I'm not an artist. I'm I'm not an artist. I'm just oh, a guy yeah, who makes yeah, Bigfoot yeah. documentaries. But <laughs> and uh, and I have fun doing it, and I have fun that people. I I I'm so stoked that people enjoy it. Is what I want to say. So thank you. The effort the effort really shows, man. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite current running series. So can't wait to see more. Oh well, that's the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Eli, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I'm sure we'll talk again very soon. Thank you, brother. Take it easy. Take it easy. And a huge, tremendous, sincere thank you to all of you for tuning into the very first Mystery to the Monsters live after show. Not going to lie to you, I've been nervous about this all week. So thank you all for showing up. Thank you for asking your questions. Thank you for being a part of the Small Town Monsters community. Um, One final reminder, if you'd like to take your participation in the community to the next level. You can sign up for the STM squad. Uh, Bunch of content released early, ad-free, 4K, sent straight to you. And if you want to get all of the new movies sent to you very early, be sure to sign up for the next Kickstarter when it premieres on February 1st of next year. Next week, we will be back with a brand new episode of my friend Alex Petikoff's Bigfoot Beyond the Trail, the Alaska Bigfoot Highway. Speaking of squad, of the STM squad, that episode will also be available to subscribers on the 16th, ad-free and in 4K, and will be available free in an ad-supported format to the rest of the public on the 20th at 2 p.m. For our next live after show, there's a possibility I might be speaking with Mr. Alex Petikop. So be sure to tune in next week. You won't want to miss that. And if you want to keep an eye on everything that Small Town Monsters is doing, you don't want to miss an update. Be sure to follow us on all of the social media platforms. We are on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter slash X. I don't know what it's called these days. I haven't kept up with the news. And we're also over on threads. So be sure to follow Small Town Monsters. Shoot us a message. Leave a few comments. We love to hear from you guys. For Small Town Monsters, my name is Aaron Deese. It has been an honor and a privilege to hang out with you all. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. If you enjoyed this show, consider giving it a like, review, rating, or sharing it with a friend. And be sure to visit smalltownmonsters.com for more info about this and other STM projects.